My name is Michael Kaiser. And my name is John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 11 of the show, where we are continuing our journey through the early days of Marvel Comics. Um, we've gone through, I don't know, like a year maybe by now? Did uh, the first issue come out in August or September? Yeah, so it's probably been about a year. And here we are in October 1962. We covered half of October last time with October 2nd, and we're picking up with October 9th today. And the first of our two comics for October 9th is the delightful Strange Tales 104. And so if anybody's new to the show, what John and I do is we kind of trade back and forth on having to summarize these things. I say having because sometimes it's a chore. Sometimes it's really fun. Um, but what we do is we don't uh, plan ahead, really. We don't write up a synopsis that we then read off. We just kind of don't look at the book. It's a challenge. Don't look at the book and what see if you What do you remember could, from the story? What do you remember? Can you explain the story if someone just asked you while you were like in line at a grocery store? Um, and Strange Tales 104 is up and it is John's turn to oh, do that. See, I don't keep track of this. <laughs> <laughs> I literally read the comics wondering, I wonder if I'm going to have to remember this. <laughs> well, we left off with me summarizing Ant-Man uh, stopping a big bug from taking over the city. So, Okay, listeners, if Your he's turn. pulling a fast one on me, if he's just saying my <laughs> turn every time for the heck of it, someone write an email and let me know because <laughs> I've already edited last week's episode. Uh, uh, well, okay. if I am doing that, I don't seem to avoid uh, summarizing awful ones once in a while, so I'm not doing very good at cheating. Um. Wow. Okay, so I've got to figure out what happened here. Um, I know that there's paste pot Pete in this one. Yes. And, um, what does he do? Does he like hold up a bank at the beginning with his glue gun? Correct. And, um, then, then Johnny's at the bank and he sees it happening. Oh, and there's another secret identity moment. He's like, I can't turn into the torch while everybody is staring at this paste pot Pete character. Oh, there, no, that I'm the torch. I've got to go sneak away and turn into the torch to save my secret identity. So he does. He sneaks away and turns to the torch to save his secret identity. He flies back. And, um, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically um, what, what we're saying here is if John was asked in a grocery store, what happened in Strange Tales 104? John would say, just skip it. This is the one with Paste Pot Pete. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I know there's shenanigans and he, Paste Pot Pete shoots the torch with the gun. Uh, there's this one part where like, he glues the torch to a rocket. Yep. Uh, well, first he douses the torch's, um, fire with like a bucket of water. And then he glues the torch to a rocket and the torch is like, Oh no, I'm still wet. I can't flame on. Uh, oh, but my hand can. Maybe my hand can burn off this paste and set me free from this rocket before it blows up and scatters my atoms all over China or whatever. And, um, then as soon as he's heat from the glue, Oh, Crap, I'm dry now. I can turn to the torch. He turns to the torch and goes back after Paste Pot Pete. Um, and yeah, Paste Pot Pete, my, my notes say the bad guy gets away. So Paste Pot Pete gets away at the end. They don't yes. actually stop him. Yes. Does anything of import happen that I missed? No, that's pretty much what happens in this story. Sweet, he, hot damn. <laughs> he, he robs a bank. He gets away. And on the same day, he decides to also steal a rocket. In a big truck, uh-huh. he puts the rocket in the back of the truck. Like you said, he glues a deflamed Johnny. I can't remember. Oh, his flame just 
ran out time limit, that stupid time limit stupid thing time again. Limit. So it wasn't even Pacebot Pete that deflamed him. He just deflamed himself. And then Pacebot's like, hey, awesome, and then attaches him to the rocket, but then accidentally launches the rocket somehow. Like it was just an accident on Pacebot Pete's part. Part? Pacebot Pete's part? Wow. Pickle, <laughs> pickle, pickle peppers. And then – and then, like like you said, he gets out with his finger flame. <laughs> finger flame, that sounds horrible. And then, uh, yeah, Pacepot Pete like had a rendezvous with some boat in the water and, and gets away. All right, sweet. So, um, okay, I don't have a whole lot on this. Um, so just nostalgia-wise, mm-hmm. um, just to be narcissistic about it, my fir- I, was a, I'm, I am and was at the time a big Captain America fan growing up. Okay. Um, and I started reading Cap in the 300s. So that's like Grenwald and Paul Neary and this really long run. Okay. But you should be able to get there by like 2045. Yeah. Right. But one of my first like quote unquote vintage comics that I bought, uh, like old Captain America comics for me at the time anyway, was Captain America number 108. And that was like a whole different world because Grenwald's cap was very like Superman kind of. Like he really wanted him just to be Superman in a way, like very upstanding and moral and nothing to do with war. And oh my gosh, I killed somebody. Gasp, you know, that kind of thing. But here we have Cap 108 with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was just like a whole different experience. And the main bad guy in that was the trickster, the trapster. Yes. The trickster. The trapster who is what Pace Pot Pete will change his name to. So just in that sense, I have a little nostalgia for this character, and it's kind of cool to read his first appearance. Um, I always knew he was originally called Pacepot Pete, but I don't think I've ever read an issue or a story where he had that name. Um, but of obviously all the he characters does. to actually gain some traction, I mean, yeah. his, na- his name is Pete. Pete. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Watch out. It's Pete. And he's really, like, not a awesomely designed character at this point either. You know who he reminds me of? Because he has the, like, beret and the, the frock and mm-hmm. kind of is pulling some artist stereotypical portrayal of that vibes. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of the painter, who is another random ass Strange Tales villain who has a random ass reappearance in Web of Spider-Man. I want to say 72 or 71. It's where they do this art attack four part story. And, art um, attack? Yeah, art attack. And the painter okay. is involved there. Um, and it's a, it's a human torch Spider-Man team up issue. Um, it's very offbeat and very weird and has a lot of weird continuity quirks in it actually. But yeah. Um, so he just reminds me of that for some reason because he looks like a painter in this. They, they're both like French militant. Yeah. Only that, that painter doesn't look like there's nothing about him that says, hey, I'm a painter, except for, you know, his paint gimmick. He's wearing, like, he looks kind of like a hobo. Um, well, the trapster will go through multiple looks. Mm-hmm. And by the 300s, he'll have, like, this cool, like, spandexy purple outfit and these, like, gun, glue gun things on his arm to actually shoot, like, you know, like a proper supervillain. Mm-hmm. And he gets um, some other gimmicks after all, some like, other trap-oriented gimmicks, which are, you know. Yeah. I'm sure he has, like, grenade, glue grenades and things like that at some point. But... But this is like, if you've never read this issue, kids, it's a dude with like a chin hair and he kind of looks like really stereotyped. Like, I want to say, I don't know, what kind of stereotype is that? That's like a. It looks kind of clowny. Yeah. And he's got a beret and a big bow tie and he wears like kind of green 
Is that clown. camo? It's supposed to be camo, but at the same time, it has frills at the bottom. Yeah, like it like bows out and and it's like a one piece. There's no belt or anything like that. It's and a the wor- strange design. The worst part is is his apparatus for you know using glue on the world is he's got a gun, but the gun has a hose that's connected to a bucket, <laughs> and the bucket has like overflowing amounts of glue in it. So like yeah. that's that's how he goes around this entire issue, holding a bucket with a glue. He is called Paste Pot Pete because he is literally carrying around a pot of glue. Right. With yes. a new with a I don't know, pneumatic hose attached. Let's see. Yeah. Eventually he'll have like, you know, canisters on his back. Something mm. a little a little easier to get around in. We need both hands. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you would think. Like in in the in the splash page, he has to carry the big bag of money under his arm because <laughs> right. he doesn't want to get glue all over his hundred dollar bills. Right. Oh. And then, like, I think, like, he fits right in as a villain in this story because you and I have often commented that the Human Torch's flame power sort of doesn't make sense. Like, Mm -hmm. would it really work like that if you shot him? Like, would the bullet just instantly melt like that? Yeah, there's one like that in the next issue, too. Yeah. And then, so Pace Pot Pete kind of has the same thing. Like, every once in a while, I'm thinking, would glue really work that way? You know? Like when he turns it into a rope and like uses the paste rope to like pull himself along at one point. Exactly. On page or, eight. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This could be like some, he doesn't even say he invented this glue. It's just like glue, right? Or is it some yeah. sort of fantastic alien glue? It's just glue. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the logic behind Spider-Man's webs. Yeah. I, I hate true. to, I hate to ruin Spider-Man. Um, well, <laughs> but we, we all know these things. Yeah. But. I mean, honestly, his gut, his, his webs are adhesive. They right. shoot out and they stick or they shoot out at somebody and they stick them. Oh, oh, oh my shit. I, I, I don't swear this much usually on the podcast, but I'm like, oh my God. Spider-Man. Guys, Spider-Man is paste pot Pete. What? <laughs> Spider- and his name is Pete. Oh my God. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, I broke Spider-Man. <laughs> But what you're saying essentially is like sometimes the web sticks, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes well, it's, it's he, always sticky. But he sometimes he lays on it like a hammock, and you wonder why he can get off it again. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, like, in, on, and I'm looking at the image. There's this one part where he shoots out his paste to some logs that are across a crevasse, and then he grabs the line of paste and pulls it back to him. Yeah. I mean, those exact two panels could be done by Spider-Man. He shoots his web out and grabs the the logs and pulls them back on his web. Yeah. It's the exact same idea. And he also attaches himself to, was it a plane or something at the end? And it's kind of like swinging behind it to get to the boat. Yeah. yeah. He flies away after, after and, instead of the word splat, you could just type the word pl- twip and it would be the same thing. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to recover from this. This is not okay. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? We can headcanon this. We could say that Pace Pot Pete invented this amazing glue and wrote a paper on it that Peter read and used to create – help create his own version because it is different. It's not webs. No, I mean, no you're not, right. It's, it's, it's not the web consistency or, no. or texture or whatever it is. And obviously right. Spider-Man's is less viscous. Is that the right word? It's, it's, less, it's less slimy and, and yogurty and more like, you know – threads right but it still functions very much the same way yeah 
So this could be where uh, – and I was going to say, in Amazing Fantasy 15, he had webs, right? Yeah. But the, he didn't really yeah, do a lot did. with them. He, t- he put out a candle. That's all I can remember. Did he swing around? Yeah, I think in Amazing Fantasy 15, I don't think we saw him doing any web swinging. No. he put. I remember him putting out a candle. That was like the big you know, TV show thing. Oh, I can put out candles with my oh, webs. Yeah. And I just realized we've already that Spider-Man actually already did that, and so Pace Pop Pete is following Spider-Man. But then you get to the whole question of chronology: has has Amazing Fantasy fifteen happened yet? Because how does it relate to the timing of number Amazing Spider number one? I was going to bring that up when we got to Amazing Spider number number one. Okay, well we'll have to put a pin in this and remember that. Okay, because Amazing Fantasy happened many many months ago. So at, at least from point. a at least from a Stanley invention point of view, mm-hmm. Spider-Man was first. Spider-Man was first. Pace Pop Pete is a bad imitation. Okay, fine. I'm okay with Pace Pop Pete being a bad imitation of Spider-Man. I am not okay with Spider-Man being a cool imitation of Pace Pop Pete. (laughs) (laughs) At least he doesn't carry around a spider bucket. Right. Oh. Um, Um, My only other real thing I want to say is, like, the torch uses his little uh, torch lanes. I'm going to call them torch lanes now. I like that. You know, originally... It was just like a flame that he shaped into himself to use as a distraction, right? But it was just yeah. flame. It just sat there. Now he sent them after Pete, I think after the bank. I can't remember why because he had to do something else. He needed to send the torch into the sky. Okay, that's right. Become, in order to become oh. uh, Johnny again, right? Right. No, to become the human torch. So he is Johnny at the bank. He lets Pace Pot Pete – he lets Pete – uh, leave, run away, and he creates a torch to go after him until right. he can until he can turn into the torch when no one's looking. Right? That's what he does. Okay, I missed that. Okay. So yeah, and he only has enough. He can only control the flame enough to say, "Follow Paste Pod Pete." That's all he can do. Yeah, but I'm thinking that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to like have flame follow a person. Yeah, he's like able to control these as like sentient beings now, where before it was just a thing that sat there, like a fireball or something, mm-hmm. as a visual distraction. Now he can actually say, follow that bad guy, and the thing will do it when he's not even concentrating on it. And then he can find it later because he can sense it, I guess. That's like an amazing power that he'll probably never have again. He says he is sensitive enough to heat to follow the heat waves. So he follows the heat trail that his own torch leaves in the sky. Right. But like, where does that end? Can you say, can you generate five human torches and say, shoot fire at that guy? And would they do it? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like they're becoming autonomous or something. So not to, not to beat a dead horse we've already moved off from, but on that same bit on page five, whenever (laughs) Pacepot Pete splooges the security guys. (laughs) Yes. That is. That is exactly what's going to happen in issue one of Amazing Spider-Man. He's going to shoot the web at the guard to get to the rocket to, to save John Jameson. Okay. Spoilers. So, I, I, I'm bothered just a little bit. That's okay. I, I, I'm over it. Um, yeah, this um, this is not for Strange Tales level of storytelling. This is actually not a bad little story. No, it's pretty good. It's pretty decent. Um it's not glorious, but as far as these things go, it's not bad. Um, we've already covered everything I was going to say. Oh, that page three, something about Ant-Man. Um, Did they reference Ant-Man? 
No, I said Oh, because the the fake torch goes away after Pastepot Pete and the crowd immediately is like, but it's not catching him. Why isn't the torch catching him? Maybe the torch isn't as good as we thought he was. Maybe mm. he's you know, kind of a dumb hero. So that's doubting our heroes. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do with Ant Man. So now mm. doubting our heroes is becoming a Marvel Universe trope. Yeah. Which Spider Man's gonna fit right in. Yeah, Stan Lee really likes to be hard on on these people. <laughs> it's like he wakes up and what can I do today to make their life worse? It's it's I would consider that now though a um a div- a trope of more mature storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially more, you know, in a postmodern sense where your heroes are not trusted by everybody. Um, certainly that was a characteristic of Superman storytelling from about 2011 forward, uh, with right. uh, New 52 and the Man of Steel films. Right, exactly. But, um, but yeah, are we good on this? Do you, do you have more thoughts? Uh, I'm pretty good. I mean, first appearance of the Pace Pot Pete, um, nothing super spectacular, but nothing horrible either. Right. So um, that takes us to the uh, Fantastic Four, number 10, Fantastic which is the end Four. of this month. And that is your baby to, um, to synopsize. So have fun. Still the world's greatest comic magazine in the Marvel Universe, anyway, as of October 9th, 1962. Okay, so – oh, this is the uh, interesting one. So it opens with Reed – trying out a new huge Kirby-esque camera he created to see if he could take pictures of Sue when she's invisible, like to get see if he can capture her. And he kind of does. He gets her outline or whatever like that. And then the the Fantastic Four flare emits in the sky, and the only one not in the room is the thing. So they think, hey, it must be the thing. Let's get out of here. And then they realize that their nuclear-powered door is locked, and they can't get out. So Johnny's going to, you know, as a hothead he is, he's just going to go Nova on it. And Reed's like, ah, that'll kill us. So Reed, like, stretches to the 35th floor looking for the fantastic car. But they forget where they parked it, so he can't find it. He hurts himself stretching too hard. And then Johnny's like, well, you know what? I can control my fr- flame so well, it doesn't even admit heat. Admit, <laughs> hit, admit heat, not admit heat. It doesn't get hot. And he opens the door, and they get out, and they go through New York like Fantastic Four always do, like wrecking everything. The Human Torch like buzzes some girls and scares the heck out of them, and an Invisible Woman turns invisible and almost gets hit by a car, and the car has to swerve and hits a fire hydrant, and Mr. Fantastic's like stretching away from his fans and stuff. And they finally get to where the thing is, which is at Alicia's house, and the thing is like, what the nothing i just wanted to see you guys and they're like what and he's like hey what i can't just use the gun to call okay fine what do you want to see us about look at all these cool statues that alicia made of every villain we faced so far in our first nine issues and they're all like "Ooh, that's really cool and then sue's like oh you had to put submariner on that list because i don't know if he's a villain and i still kind of like him and then finally for the first time since issue one reed says Hey, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Um, I'm supposed to have feelings for you. What do you think? Remember that? (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, I don't know if I want to talk about that right now. And then uh, Johnny's like, gosh, I'm glad I'm young and don't care about love or something like that. And then if you're thinking that seems kind of Fantastic Four-like, but maybe a little on the 
hyper real cheese side, you're not wrong because we cut to the Marvel Universe Marvel Comics office where Stanley and Jack Kirby are writing that story. So everything you just read or I just summarized, I think, is supposed to be a comic book. And they're lamenting about how they can't figure out a villain for this issue. And boy, if only Doctor Doom hadn't been lost in space, they could still use him in the comics. And as if on cue, Doctor Doom walks into their office. He's just like, hey, everybody. Excelsior. And they're like, whoa, Doom. He's like, yeah, it's me, Doctor Doom. Oh, man, this mask hurts. He takes his mask off and they're all like, oh, my God. Stab our eyes out. This is disgusting. It's like, I'm sorry, but I got to, you know, I got to let it breathe once in a while, guys. <laughs> it's like your face was an avocado that had sex with an even uglier avocado. <laughs> yeah. So then he's like, Dr. Doom's like, now, because I will kill you and also because you'll probably find it interesting, you need to get Mr. Reed Richards over here. Tell him you need him. So they do that. They apparently have a meeting with him all the time. They call him and they say, you know, hey, we need some more help with a story we're working on. So Reed just goes down there because he's a huge comic fan, I guess, and works on comics with him all the time. And when he gets there, Dr. Doom shoots him with a, you know, knockout gas gun. And he wakes up in uh, Dr. Doom's castle. And he's like, Dr. Doom, how did you come back? Last we saw you were on an asteroid, uh, you know, hurtling out into space unknown. And he's like, yep. And I came across these aliens called the Ovoids, I think. Ovoids? Ovoids. I never had to say it out loud before. Ovoids. And they're like these really tall, skinny aliens with these huge, like, eggheads. And they're so advanced with their mental powers and awesomeness that Dr. Doom is no threat to them, but they also don't perceive anybody as a threat to them, so they don't really recognize his villainy, per se. And they end up teaching him, like, one of their biggest secrets, which is that to be immortal... Instead of dying, what they do is they create a new body for themselves and they mentally transplant their brain into the new body. So now Dr. Doom has the secret of like mentally moving his brain to another body. And of course, they gave him a ride home and all that stuff, too. Now he has Reed Richards captive captive. And his plan is, guess what? Freaky Friday. They switch brains. Now, uh, Dr. Doom is in Reed Richards' body and Reed Richards is in Dr. Doom's body. They start fighting a little bit, but Dr. Doom totally beats up himself with Reed Richards' body and powers and stretchy powers and stuff. And just then the Fantastic Four comes in because Dr. Doom had called them to come over because he wanted them to come over. And he's like – and evil Reed Richards is like, look, it's Dr. Doom. And Dr. Doom Richards is like, no, no, it's not really me. But they don't believe it and they all help defeat him. And then evil Richards like suggests they put him in this glass prison where he'll live out – the rest of his life there, but unbeknownst to the rest of the team, he only has about an hour of air left. And then the Fantastic Four go home with Evil Richards now as Mr. Fantastic. Oh, that's the first story, I think. <laughs> then we cut to them at their building, and there's all these like little tiny animals from the zoo running around, and Sue and Johnny and Thing are trying to pick up, and Evil Reed Richards comes in, and he's like, oh, you found my experiment. And they're like, what's this all about? And he's like, well... Since you guys didn't graduate high school, let me explain some things. You know how the dinosaurs were stupid? And they're like, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like, well, because they had tiny brains, right? Yeah, uh uh-huh. No, they didn't have tiny brains. They just had big bodies. So if you were able to shrink the body, imagine how smart they would be brain size to body ratio, right? And they're all like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, sure. So So I've been experimenting after reading this Hank Pym manual 
I made that up. I've been experimenting on shrinking animals because I want to shrink you guys. Because imagine if I could shrink you guys, how powerful you would be. And they're all like, okay, sure, Reed. We trust you. Yeah, that's cool. But of course, when they're not looking, he rubs his hands together because he's really Dr. Doom. And he says, I'm just going to shrink them until they cease to exist and they're nothing. Uh, meanwhile, cut to uh, Dr. Doom Reed, who – I can't remember how he escapes. Like he, oh, he like makes the, oh, he uh, makes a crack in the glass and then he like shoves the oxygen canister that's inside the prison with him and somehow makes it blow up. I think I can't remember exactly what he did, but he escapes because he's Reed Richards and he's smart stuff. And he makes his way back to Alicia's house and she kind of starts to believe his story because Alicia can see the souls of people because she's blind. Um, and. But just before she, he, he can convince her, uh, he gets knocked out by an invisible woman who happens to be visiting and she turned invisible when Dr. Doom, quote unquote, Dr. Doom walked in. And then Thing and Human Torch show up because they're visiting his lady and they get all pissed off and start pummeling Reed Doom. And Thing is about to kill him, but for some reason finds it that he can't bring himself to do it. So they bring him back to the base and Evil Reed locks him up and then says, okay, let's do this whole shrinking thing. And, Dr. Reed, Dr. Doom Reed is like, no, no, that's actually not how science works. Don't do that. And they're like, no, no. Or actually, they start realizing that, you know, Reed Richards sounds a lot like Dr. Doom and Dr. Doom sounds a lot like Reed Richards. So this is the part where I don't really even get and I've read it like 58 times. But somehow, like, Human Torch replicates a stick of dynamite that constructions workers are using downstairs. Yeah, it is. the It is. Or yeah, on the don't street. Don't even try to make sense. Just pretend. Okay. So the point is, to summarize, Human Torch creates a dangerous situation, says, oh, no, everybody, look, dynamite. And Evil Reed Richards escapes to protect himself while good Dr. Doom jumps on the dynamite and tries to protect his family. So then they realize, you switch brains. And as soon as they realize that, Dr. Doom is startled enough to where he, like, gives up on his concentration and they Freaky Friday back. And then Dr. Doom starts shooting them all with his laser finger but he misses them and he hits his shrink ray machine and it shoots him and he starts shrinking into nothingness and the Fantastic Four watch helplessly as he just disappears at their feet. And then things like, wow, Reed, you should really be the leader of our team after what you went through. And everybody's like, um, he has been this entire time. Doy. The end. <laughs> uh, I don't believe you. I think you had this comic book open while you're going through it. No, I really don't. <laughs> you know what's weird when i was a kid i wanted to be a comic artist so bad that i like memorized panels and stuff and i knew where i could find them if i needed a reference or things like that so i think i just am sadly good at remembering comic books and nothing else okay well then you know you're better at this than i am so side note this was the end of the first marvel masterworks fantastic four volume which also means it was the first end of the first fantastic the first Marvel Masterworks ever volume because they started with the Fantastic Four. And I had this. I had mm-hmm. the paperback version of it. So this is actually a pretty solid ending of a volume. Like this little run of Fantastic Four, one through 10, this is a nice ending. 10 is a good last issue to, to go out on. Yeah. So, um, I appreciated that as, as a kid, it felt like I had a, you know, cohesive little run of stories. Um, this was a really good issue. Yeah. This is a really good issue. <laughs> like, this is one of my favorites since, I don't know, maybe Namor? The first yeah. Namor? The second Namor? I like the uh, second Namor still. The, the, the movie theater one? No, the one where 
he gets double crossed by Doom and he's not exactly a bad guy, but Oh yeah, Namor and Doom. That is that is also a good issue. But but I mean these are if we were to if we were to rank the ten so far, this would be yeah. near the top. Yeah. Um so yeah, we start off with just a cool, fun excuse to show off their powers. Um not a whole lot going on at the beginning there except for except for some fun. And the whole burn without heat, since Johnny Storm is saying it. I'm just going to chalk it up to Johnny being an idiot because uh, fire burning without heat isn't. I think it's because it's a comic book. It could be a comic book, but fire burning without heat is a, it's, just, it's not a thing. I know. I almost feel like they're self-aware of how silly his flame power is to the point where when they're making this comic book within a comic book, they like make fun of themselves. And you said that during your synopsis, that did not even occur to me that the comic book within a comic book might be a hyped up comic book. Yeah. Um, but I like I, that idea. I was honestly reading these first – however, how many pages is it at first? Five? These first four pages and honestly thinking, wow, this is like super hoke, like more so than usual. Right from the gate when they're stuck in their nuclear lock mechanism or lock door. Uh-huh. It's like, why are they doing all this? This is just kind of silliness. And then um, – I mean not that we haven't seen all this before, but it just seemed like a really condensed version of everything I've found silly so far in Fantastic Four 1 through 10. Mm-hmm. And then the feelings thing that kind of came out of nowhere is like, that's weird. He hasn't done that lately. And then, Never. and then Johnny was like, boy, I'm not old enough to have all those kinds of mushy problems. Which he just had a princess hot for him in the fifth dimension. Right. Like, and then you turn, you turn the page and it says, and that dear rear is as far as Jack Kirby and I got with our story before the unexpected happened. It's like, Oh, it's a comic book. Okay. <laughs> and then I suddenly loved it. I wasn't loving it as I was reading it. But then, you know, once it became a comic book, I was like, wow, did they just like slam themselves? Okay. I am digging this. I'm going to go with you on this. I, I like it. Uh, it also helps explain Johnny calls Alicia Ben's girlfriend, which, yes, she is a girl who is his friend. And he has been enjoying that friendship. But not a single romantic word has been said between them. Um, right. So – I'm not on board with her being his girlfriend. He's still in love with Sue. Maybe he's trying to get over it, but he's still in love with Sue. And we'll, we'll come back to I, this in issue 11. I think in issue 11, he'll be in love with Sue. In issue 10, this is a comic book. Right, right. So I, I, I like that. <laughs> that still doesn't count. I like that explanation for these opening pages where Johnny says, although later in the comic, whenever um, Doom, Reed Doom is offering them their heart's desires, he – does talk about Ben's romance with Alicia. And I'm like, how does Dr. Doom even know about Alicia? Because he read the comic. Because he read the comic. She's Still in weird. the comic. And I was going to say, how, do, how does Marvel Comics know about Alicia? But apparently they talk to Reed Richards like every week about story ideas. Yeah. Well, and I'm he sure just spills everything. Well, like they say next issue, they, um, they know the endings of the stories in the comics. So I think the comics are actually – the comic, the Fantastic Four comics in the Marvel Universe, I'm going to say, are dramatized versions of the actual events. Yeah, and you notice in the office they have Ant Man and Hulk on the, and Thor on the drawing board and on the wall, taped on the wall and stuff. Um, so one, that's the first time technically there's like been a crossover. Oh, you're right, because Ant, but um, even though it's fake, but you could also say. Well, if they're making a Fantastic Four comic and there's really Fantastic Four in this universe, then they're also making an Ant-Man, Thor, and Hulk comic. So there, there go, there, ergo, there must be Ant-Man, Hulk, and Thor in this universe as well. Or could be, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be, but we know there is. 
But and so they they make the Hulk comic that Johnny T's thing with in issue five. Right. Yeah. So it's like a universe within a universe, I guess. Well, um, Doctor Doom walking in on Jack and Kirby. I mean, early teen or preteen me thought that was the bee's knees. That is, yeah, such a bonkers but fun idea. Yeah, this whole. Th- I mean, they're on the cover too, so right away you know it's going to be fun. Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, or I think DC has done this already, or have they not? Has DC had like Jerry Julie, Siegel walking on Julie Julius Schwartz? Wasn't he on a Superman cover, or is that later? I don't remember him being on one. Now, he didn't have the Superman comics till the Bronze Age. Mort Weisinger had him off of the Silver okay. Age. Schwartz was doing so, Justice League. So then this is Marvel, like, creating. And that's the thing that Marvel has been no, is was known for, is, like, Stan wasn't just a comic creator. He became, like, kind of famous. He became, like, a uh, Hugh Hefner of the Mar- of the comic community, you know? Like... Like yeah, he became, he became his own person. And I think this goes a lot towards that. Like we're putting Jack Kirby and Stanley inside the comic. You know, they didn't do that with people before that. These, these creators were often unknown or didn't want to be known because comics was like a lower form of writing or drawing. Well, it, it, was, it was a culture they cultivated. I mean, in their comics letters columns, the, the kinds of responses they give to readers are, friendly and jocular and you know mm-hmm. kind of like we're just shooting the breeze here together you're talking about comics and i'm gonna i may answer you directly i may answer you with a wisecrack you never know right. um and it just played as a much more we're all in this together kind of feeling than my impression of dc's letters columns when i've read a number of letters columns from dc during this era and they're not staid they're not like stoic or anything but i don't know it's just stan comes across or Maybe Flo. Uh, crap, what's her last name? I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember yeah. her last name either. In the office, Jack Lee, Jack Kirby, Stanley, Flo. <sighs> you know what? Say it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot. I my can. Foot I can find it, and I can find it in three seconds. Here, ready? It is Steinberg. Steinberg, you beat me Flo to Steinberg. it. Steinberg, yep. Flo right. Steinberg. Um, so maybe she's the one who's being silly and goofy in the letters pages, but. Um, but yeah, it, it created a personality so that whenever mm-hmm. they started doing the circuits and comics conventions started being a thing in the 70s, Stan Lee was a personality. Um, right, right. They, which, I mean, they, you know they, all if, those. Yeah, you kinda, it kind of had a little more accessibility maybe. Um, and we've talked about how we may or may not have listeners who were actually alive during in 1962 mm-hmm. and collecting these things. So maybe you guys could write in on that, whether you felt like there was a difference in the um, – was there, like, was there like a sense of universe building or, you know, getting behind the scenes with Marvel that there wasn't with DC or are we just reading into that? But yeah, I think the fact that Stan and Jack are on this cover as if people would be interested in that just tells you that that's like a different publication than something DC yeah. was putting out. And speaking of letters, um, there's something I want to put into the uh, letters offering at the end of the episode. So um, remind me when we get to the end of the episode, I want to mention something okay. about letters. Um, okay. So... I love the Doctor Doom story of how he came back. Revealing villains' fates was yeah. a big staple of this era that I love. Yes. Instead of just they're back with no explanation. Yeah. You know, I mean, or they're just breaking out of jail again. Breaking out of jail again. 
is a yeah. thing that is perfectly acceptable. But having these much more interesting, like, oh my gosh, he was off on an asteroid into space. And at the time, we didn't even think about what we'd do. But now I've come up with these spoonhead ovoid people. And they saved Dr. Doom and taught him how to miniaturize things because they came from one of it. That's just, it's neat. I like it. Yeah. And I feel like the ovoids will make another appearance, but I didn't really look into whether that's true or not. Oh, I'll look that up while you're talking. Or they just look like very familiar characters for me for some reason, but I can't figure out why. I kind of feel you on that. I feel like I do know them from somewhere else or feel like I've, I've seen that or maybe heard that they come back. Um, very tiny note. The top of that page, eight, where he's doing his little um, recap, Stan Lee tells Jack Kirby that uh, with a guy like doing anything is possible, and he calls Jack Jackson, which would lead you to think that Jack Kirby is short for Jackson Kirby, uh-huh. and Jack Kirby is an anthropo is 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 a not anthropomorphized but um Anglo West yeah Anglified Anglicized name. He was born Jacob Kurtzberg. A very right. Jewish name. So where the fact that he's calling Jack Jackson here is either uh, an in-joke between them or misleading, to say the least. I don't think I've ever heard him refer to Jack Kirby as Jackson at any other point, which doesn't mean he didn't. Right. Um, it could easily just be a nickname he threw at him. Yeah. And it could be like an off-the-cuff nickname. Just you know, His name is Jack, so Jackson kind of flows off the tongue. Stan the Manly Action Jackson. I don't know. Yeah. Did we? Oh, let's see. I love how they make uh, Reed's face distinctly evil. Yes. For one, it's good storytelling communication, but two, it's like a cool way. It's like you'll never see Reed like that unless Dr. Doom is uh, in his brain or is mm-hmm. his brain. And that makes me come back to the cover, which we didn't talk about really. I, li- I like the cover, but you know how I like a lot of covers that are super famous is because they've kind of been redone over and over and over again. Like obviously Action Comics number one or – Mm-hmm. Uh, FF number one. I feel like I've seen evil smiley Reed Richards on the cover of Fantastic Four number ten many, many, many times, but okay. within within story flashbacks as opposed to recreating this cover. Oh, like flashbacks to this story? Yeah, they'll they'll use this particular picture from this cover as the symbol for that one time that Doctor Doom became Reed Richards. I believe it because it's very. I mean, it's pretty. I, 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 I'm victory in my head right now without even looking at it. He's got like his fist up and he's looking over his shoulder with a big old grin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good cover. And Dr. Doom's body transfer, there's no mechanism for it. He just no. does it with his brain. Yeah. They taught him how and apparently he's so brilliant. Dr. Doom is one of those characters where like he is open to anything. Right. We've talked about that before. He's into tech. He's into magic. If he learns about someone who has telepathy, he's like, show me how to do that. And he just can figure it out, I guess. They showed him. So the Ovoids do come back. Okay. Um, They're in a Thor story, Hmm. like a one-off Thor story from the early 80s. But then they're in like a run of She-Hulk stories from the early 90s. Oh, Um, She-Hulk. Maybe that's where I've seen him again because I used to love She-Hulk. They freaking came back in X-Men Kingbreaker, which was part of the War of Kings crossover from 2008-2009. Huh. Huh. Anyways, so yeah, they're around. I'm thinking I'm thinking She-Hulk. I read all those John Byrne She-Hulks. I bet he reused them. Um, Dr. Doom gets his butt kicked once he's not Dr. Doom anymore. Because <laughs> um, Reed Richards – I guess Reed Richards doesn't know how to use Dr. Doom armor and Dr. Doom just trounces him. 
It's hard to describe this story because you say Reed Richards, but which one are you talking about? So um, I was thinking about your synopsis. I didn't do this while I was reading it, but I was thinking Reed Doom is evil, <laughs> and that's Doctor Doom, and Doctor Richards. Yeah, that works. Is you know is Doctor Doom as Richards, and it's also Doctor Richards, so it's not confusing because you're actually talking about Reed. Yeah. Okay. Um, that way. That's just an idea. Um, page ten. They um they trade bodies and the first thing he does is take off his clothes. Yeah. It's like first things first, losing the terrible suit read. Yeah. Well he likes a good uniform. I guess, yeah. And um yeah, like you said, they have a fight and then the Fantastic Four bust in and they beat up Reed and then they fantasize over different ways to almost kill him. I think that was cool. Like how should we how should we Imprison him. I have an idea. No, I have an idea. Uh, that kind of stuff is fun, and I think that's kind of what makes the Fantastic Four the best read usually every week. Uh, as they really like to play with these characters, so it just makes them. It, it just makes them. Um, you know, these little comedy bits where Human Torch fantasizes about how to cage him in fire, and the thing's gonna put a rock on his head, and it's good stuff. Um, they put Doc. They put Doctor Richards in. Um, the same containment chamber that Nick Fury built for the Hulk. <laughs> except the it's not raised. Except it's not high above the, you know. No, he'll transfer it to the uh, the helicarrier in terms yeah. of the movie. But right now it's just in yeah. Doom's basement. <laughs> yeah. And it occurs to me that this is the first time we've actually seen a special hate for Reed from Doctor Doom. Yeah. Before there was nothing, it was nothing personal. Before it was, uh, he wanted to eliminate the Fantastic Four because they're the only power that could stop his, you know, ruling the world. And Reed knew of him through college, but didn't say like they they had any special connection. Yeah, and even in the second one where he comes back and gets the uh, the tower and Namor helps save them, there's yeah. nothing direct or no. anything. In fact, he wants to eliminate the Fantastic Four and Namor because now those are the five people in the world that can stop him. Right. Um. But yeah, he really dislikes Reed now, which is much more fun. Um, what else have I got on this? You mentioned it in your thing. Um, they're ripping off Hank Pym. And at first I was like, Reed's ripping off Hank Pym. But no, wait, Dr. Doom is ripping off Hank Pym. Dr. Doom is. But Reed already has. Yes. Um, they really like shrinking in the Marvel Universe. It's a but this, sci-fi this it. whole business is nonsense. And so, but I can excuse it because he know, he in his thought bubble says it's nonsense. <laughs> but the fact that the remaining Fantastic Four members are just like going along with this, just like, wow. Well, you know what it reminded me of? This is going to sound terrible. It reminded me of flat earth logic. Okay. Um, first of all, if you're listening to this podcast and you believe the earth is flat, I'm sorry. I got nothing for you. Um, but I've done, I've, I've done the occasional look-see to see exactly what the flat earthers are saying. And some of their points – if you're not really paying attention, it might make a little sense at first pass. They right. say this hap- this is the way things are because of this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, I see how somebody might think that. But then you have to actually think about the ramifications of what that must mean and the physics that would have to be behind it. It all just falls apart. Okay. So his argument is the dinosaurs had didn't have small brains. They had big bodies. Right. So if you make the bodies small, then their brain to body ratio, the brain size of the brain to body ratio 
would be enough that they'd have stayed on Earth and explored the galaxy. It shows like a picture of them exploring space and stuff. Scientist dinosaurs. Just like that episode from Voyager. But um, I feel like there's a whole 80s cartoon about this at some point, maybe. Oh, there probably is. But then, okay, even if you bought that, which, you know, the brain doesn't change. But okay, even if you bought that, he then says, so I will make you guys small, but imagine you small with your powers the same. And you just yeah. sit there like, what? What, how did, what does that mean? How does that work? And what does that have to do with your brains? Nothing. You're shrinking their entire body, everything. You're not shrinking some parts of them. Like the dinosaur analogy is you'd be shrinking some parts and keeping other parts the same. Well, I think so with the, the dinosaur thing, it's a physical part that stays the same. Right. As an analogy to shrinking their bodies and their power levels will stay the same. Well, how does that work? Which – well, it, that's what happens with Ant-Man, though. Oh, that's which true. Which is why it's still ripping off Ant-Man because, like, when he shrinks, he still somehow has the strength of a full-sized man, which is a silly comic book gimmick way of tying into the whole idea that ants have much larger strength compared to their body size than than we do. Well, um, they, they also don't want him to struggle to, like, untie someone's shoelaces, but... Right. Because <laughs> that would kind of make the comic boring. <laughs> but that still doesn't work. I mean, okay, fine. That works for Thing. Maybe that even works for Human Torch, but Sue is hell-bent on doing this, too, and it's like, ooh, I could be more invisible than I already am. Right. Like, like what? That doesn't mean... I don't know. I don't have to get haircuts. I could just make parts of my hair invisible. <laughs> Yeah, for her, it's really, really terrible because she's like, I could just make part of myself invisible, and she's standing in front of oh, people with half her body, and it's just that like that's what she says, isn't it? That's that's not even impressive a little bit. Which, by the way, she'll be able to do that soon. But yeah, <laughs> she gets there. She can. She gets she there can, on her. She can make but, her outer clothes invisible. Are all of these are things that they eventually get to, aren't they? Yeah, every single one of these power growths that do promises them johnny gets better with his flame he gets faster there goes through a period where thing can control his changes um i don't know how long that lasts and i don't really know the fantastic four story behind it but i know that that i'm pretty sure that happens at some point yeah and susan able to make parts of herself invisible at one time you said that happens so dr dim is just telling them i'll help you grow up yeah i love his laughing face on page 17 because again that's read so it's it's like watching that episode of star trek where like you know kirk is evil or spock is evil or mirror mirror it's like that is read but it's also obviously dr doom and it's just fun to see him like let go like that because he's usually so reserved and they um when they went to the mirror universe on star trek discovery i made a joke about goatees and lily has heard evil people as having goatees. She's mm-hmm. heard that reference before and she's heard that joke before. She had forgotten because she hasn't seen the episode since she was like seven or eight years old. She had forgotten that that entire concept is based on Star Trek. Yeah. The mirror. So I pulled out the OG goatee Spock and um, <laughs> she thought that was pretty ridiculous and impressive at the same time. <laughs> hey, it works. It's a cool visual. Yeah. Um, okay. Can we talk about Alicia for a minute? Sure. So they really infantilize her in this. Like they call her a child and, or, or, you know, Sue in her head. Good thing I was here visiting Alicia when Doom came in. He might have convinced the trusting child mm-hmm. and saves her. Um, and are well, we cool how old is with she? Ben? I don't know. Because but Ben's romantic with her and Ben's Reed's age. Yeah. And we'll get into. Next issue, I'd like to talk about their age 
a little more because uh-huh. there's some things, but some things. There's a thing, and there's also a read that I'd like to talk about. But uh, <laughs> but uh, she was Puppet Master's stepdaughter, and right. you could argue that she's an adult, but she was blind, so therefore she's still stuck with him. But you could also argue why on earth would he keep her around since he seemed to hate her so much. And she's well, living she, on her own now. She is self-sufficient. So, she, yeah, so there you go. So she's not really a child. If she's 18 to 20, would an adult woman call her a child? I guess oh. maybe. Not to her face, though. In 1962? I don't know. They just talked funny back then, maybe. Maybe. It is weird, though, to infantilize someone that we're also talking about a romantic relationship with a grown man. But hey, that's going to come back in Fantastic Four Eleven, and hey, John Byrne's going to take that idea a whole different direction. Um, it's also funny that Alicia is getting the idea that that's not really Doctor Doom, even though she's never met him. And meanwhile, Sue is adamant that it's Doctor Doom and not her ex fiance that she should know much better than she appears to know. Mm-hmm. Ben is the only one that seems to have any inkling that something funny is going on here besides Alicia. Yeah, it's some sort of unexplained. Can't punch him. Um, I thought that the kids raiding the Fantastic Car was another nice, not the Justice League touch. Yes, I love that. And it's just, it's just more world building. Like, you know, that's what would happen if you parked the Fantastic Car in New York City somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, the whole thing about the fake stick of dynamite is, okay. is his bowl. It, that does not work at all. There's nothing that makes sense about that. Okay, I'm just going to read it because I couldn't even describe it. And I feel like if people haven't read this issue, they'll have no idea what I was talking about. But he's saying to Thing in secret, there are some construction men excavating a building foundation on the street below. By controlling my heat, I can warm up the particles in the air here enough to cause a heat mirage making the dynamite's reflection seem to be right in this room. And then he shouts, stand back, thing, and watch. And then there's a piece of dynamite that's not really there. The narration of the first panel makes sense. Causes heat to make a heat mirage. But nothing else about that. (laughs) (laughs) I almost wonder if Stan Lee got the pages. He's like, what the hell, Jack, are you doing here? I got to find something. Be. That could be. But what is he doing there? I mean, do we have any other idea? No, no. No. So basically what we're saying is that the human torch can sense heat from anywhere up to say 35 uh levels of building, however tall their building is. He can sense heat and create a mirage from that heat. So if I was standing in the next room, he could create a replica of me. I don't know if it's even that it's a because it's a heat source. I think it's just he's like, oh, well, I know they're using dynamite and dynamite's dangerous, and so it'll be a test, and I'll just make dynamite look like it's showing up here. Um, his heat mirage thing. I think they're trying to evoke the idea of like the old thing that doesn't actually happen this way, where you're wandering through the desert and off in the distance you see an oasis. Uh-huh. You think you see an oasis, and what you're really seeing is light refracting off of you know. Because of the heat of the air close to the surface of the sand. Mm. Um, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. So we'll just skip that part. But Dr. Doom does pull out a finger gun here. And I was trying to remember if this was the first finger gun. Um, he does say you've never suspected that my right index finger houses a sub-miniature transistor-powered atomic blast gun. 
which is why I was thinking since they never suspected it, maybe they never, maybe they never. Um, I, I don't mean, recall him physically fighting them yet, right? Because he just tricks them with the whole Blackbeard thing, mm-hmm. and I'm actually and then he, tuning- then he escapes, right? And then in the Submariner one, he's just in the plane the entire or the rocket ship the entire time, and then he jumps on the meteor and escapes. You're right. He's and never physically confronted the Fantastic Four before. No. So I yeah, thought about that. So yeah, his armor has apparently got powers, and also this is the first issue. Even though we could probably suspected it, but this is the first issue where we know that he has disfigurement behind that mask. Or wait a minute, I might back, no, we got that back up on that. Yeah, I was just gonna say they probably already said that in the origin. But yeah, that was that was part of the origin uh, with Reed and the because uh, he was trying to reach the uh, underworld, and right? Science of black magic. So yeah, okay. Um, and I did go back and confirm, yes, there has been no actual confrontation between two and the four. I mean, he saw them when they came in to do the beginning of the Blackbeard story, mm-hmm. but there was no, like, face-off between them. No, because he had um, Sue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um he descends into the – we're going to find out later – into the microverse, mm-hmm. which is a very Ant-Man concept. At least it's always has been – an it's always been an Ant-Man concept in my mind, and, and we get it in the Ant-Man movie. Of course. Um, but it it came from here. Yeah. So that's where he'll be next time he shows up. Mm-hmm. And then he'll come across some other aliens who teach him how to grow big. Uh, basically. <laughs> I, know he comes, I know he does go down to, like, you know, a, a sub-microscopic planet. Because if, uh, if no one knows, the idea of the microverse is that – it, it comes from the idea that atoms are vaguely similar in structure to the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, you know, at the subatomic level, there must also be planets and stars and everything. So sure. he goes to, he, he lands on one. Okay. Um, but Makes yeah, there's me. a, there's a cool Sue Storm pinup. Yeah. That was exciting. And I think they've hit all the four now. Have we had pinups for all the four right now? Oh yeah. Cause now they're going to move on to like sub characters or you know or sub- supporting characters sub mariner characters but <laughs> supporting characters um okay well that brings us to our top and bottom picks for October 1962 oh boy yeah we have okay as a quick rundown to remind the listeners since half of them were last time um we have journey into mystery 87 where he was a prisoner of the reds mhm with the big old electronic chains on the cover that he escaped from by turning into Don Blake. Mm-hmm. Tales to Astonish 39 with the Scarlet Beetle. Right. Uh, the Strange Tales issue we covered today with Pace Pot Pete and this. Okay. You want me to go first? Uh, yes. Well, my favorite is Fantastic Four 10. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Um, that was just a fun issue as we... Obviously, just discussed it for a very long time, so we both enjoyed that one. That was a good one. Difficult to pick a bad one because I actually didn't hate Strange Tales 104 this month. Mm-hmm. Pace Pot Pete was okay. Tales to Astonish wasn't as good as the previous issue, but it was still okay. Ant-Man's been like basically solid. Not super exciting, but okay. So I'm going to go with Journey into Mystery just because I'm not a big fan of Reds as the bad guy. Okay. And this is like the second time Thor has fought Reds. Uh, yeah, and it just wasn't that interesting. All right. Well, I am um, going to join you with Fantastic Four as the top choice this month. I mean, there's there's just really no way 
that it's not the Fantastic Four Ten. <laughs> that was yeah. a fantastic issue. Totally. Or a fabulous issue, as, as Stanley might say. Um so yeah, you have Pace Pot Pete, Ant Man versus the Scarlet Beetle, or Thor versus the freaking commie bastards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also had trouble picking and I decided on a whim basically to say Ant Man. Okay. Well, I so, can't fault you because it's not great, but um, at, at least at the end, Ant Man like cures the beetle and lets it go free, which is very like Doctor Who Star Trek. So that kind of made me happy. Versus Reds, where it's just like, oh, I'm gonna beat up some Reds and then go home. Yeah, uh, I think I was thinking about it and trying to think. Okay, number of things I didn't like, number of things I liked. <laughs> All right. And, and it just how how does it how does the dislikes how do the pros and cons line up for each one and anyways so um that takes us into November which is fun ne- nearing the end of 1962 and first up coming out on November 1st 1962 is the Incredible Hulk five yay all right. So the Incredible Hulk five <laughs> has two stories again, again, uh, which they did in four. And I think we're back to one book length ish uh, story in issue six. Okay. Now it's two. And, um, I'm vamping because I'm trying to get the, the book out again, even though I'm not, you know, going to look at it while I read it. Just of course. Um, Tyrannus is the one on the cover, and he is the first story. Tyrannus is an underground king mm-hmm. that decides he wants to rule the world. Um, we start out with, uh, what is it? I think Thunderbolt Ross is showing videos of the Hulk, or maybe still pictures of the Hulk, to Bruce Banner, because Bruce Banner is suddenly back. Yep. Um, and then Bruce leaves, and Betty has a moment of angst about him. And Tyrannus is sitting down in his kingdom with his fabulous costume he has, like, you know, like a blue flip collar and a cape and, um, a red skirt. Yeah. Yellow, like, chain suspenders, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, he sees Betty in his crystal globe and decides that she loves Bruce Banner, so he's gonna go capture her. Or something like that. Um, he goes to his fountain of youth and drinks the fountain of youth because that's how he stays young. Um, we're, um, okay. So then we see Bruce and Rick go to his cave because they can. And while they go to his cave, um, they're hanging out there. And I think that's when Tyrannus captures. Betty, he like shows up. Oh, cause yeah, Bruce runs into them before they go to the cave. So yes. Tyrannus just shows up at the base to take yeah. Betty on a date. And Betty's like, I'm going to make Bruce jealous by going on a date with this handsome man. And Bruce is like, you know, biting his tongue, not saying anything. And so after Bruce and Rick go to their cave to hang out, Tyrannus is like, okay, Betty, we're going for a ride. And by the way, I've got this cool TV phone in my car. I'm going to call your dad. Hey dad, I've got your daughter. You want her back? Too bad, gonna have to pay some ransom, and he takes her into the underground world. Yep. And um Thunderbolt Ross goes crazy with he goes angry with rage. Uh Bruce finds out somehow. I forget exactly how, because they're still in their cave, I think. No, he is intelligent. <laughs> and like the dude what did he say? Like he he just goes to this archaeological place with no equipment and he's not really a archaeologist and they go there and like, oh yeah, it's sealed off. So let's go become the Hulk or something like that. 
Okay. Like, he just figures out Tyrannus is not really like an archaeologist that wants to show what's her face a good time. So he's just so suspicious and jealous. He decides to be the Hulk and tra- trace them. Well, he can't get, he can't get into the cave without becoming the Hulk because they sealed it off. Okay. So he goes and uses his gun because at this point, Bruce can totally control his transformations mm-hmm. to the Hulk, uh, with his machine. So they go into the cave and at first Tyrannus gets the drop on them with maybe some gas or something and turns, turns the Hulk into his gladiator. Um, I feel like Greg Pak might have read this issue in the mid 2000s at some point, <laughs> but like, ooh, that's an idea. Yeah. Um, and the Hulk bests the gladiator stuff and tears up the arena and goes after Tyrannus. But Tyrannus gets the better of him again and enslaves him, makes him build pyramids or something. And, um, meanwhile, he, Tyrannus is continuing to gloat over Betty and there's a soldier who takes Betty to her dungeon or her room or something. And he's like, I'm Rook Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. She's like, are you a little short for a stormtrooper? And yeah. uh, he pulls off his helmet. He's like, no, he's uniform. Um, he saves Betty. They get to the Hulk. They save the Hulk. Um, and then, um, is this the one where she starts to f- have feelings for the Hulk? No. And forgets it all by the end of the story? Yes. No. Oh, she probably yeah, feels yeah, sorry yeah. for him. She does. She starts to feel sorry for the Hulk, but by the end of the story, it's all like, oh no, she fainted from all the excitement, from the state of shock she's oh, in. Yeah, she she's going to forget everything that happened yes. and all the. I don't um, know if she has feelings, but she definitely forgets everything that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had it in my notes because like they, every, na- up till now, every interaction between the Betty and the Hulk has been fear driven. Right, right. Um, he's been menacing. And this was the first instance where she started to, go back on that a bit and started to have not feelings for the Hulk, but like something other than fear, right? Um, compassion or, you know, willingness to rescue, whatever, whatever that you want to describe that as. And she loses all that by the end. So she's going to keep hating and fearing the Hulk. And he's all pissed off about that. Yeah. So the reason, because at least I think so, because the entire issue is to tear. What's his name? Tyrannus. Tyrannus. I want to call him Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Submariner. Submariner. Um, Puts the Hulk through the rigmarole because he's got Betty hostage, and so Hulk just takes it. Oh, that's right. He doesn't really get the except for the gassing at the very beginning. He doesn't get the better of the Hulk. He just keeps threatening Betty. He keeps threatening Betty and making the Hulk work for him like a slave and install like all these posts and build these things and push these dams around and pull these big things all. And he does it all. He takes it because he doesn't want Betty to get hurt. So now, not only does Betty see all that and go, "Wow, the Hulk likes me enough to." you know, take all this nonsense, but I feel sorry for him because now he's like laying in his cage, like exhausted and beaten. And the only reason they escape is because Rick Jones frees Betty. And then they go to the Hulk and say, Hey, no more blackmail, buddy. And then the Hulk gets up and take, tears the entire place down. Yeah. I want the page. Now he says, Hulk, get up. Do you hear me? Get up, go away. Can't do anything. Can't take a chance of him harming Betty Ross. Right. And she says, no, Hulk, no, I'm safe. You must save yourself. Hurry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, affection might be too strong a word, but certainly she's beginning to feel human feelings toward her. Right. Um, He's not just a scary monster that might be rapey. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Because there was that rapey part. Yeah. Um, Uh, I feel a little bit let down because, like, I've been very emotionally invested in what will happen when Bruce shows back up to base. (laughs) And it's a complete non-event. Totally. Oh my gosh. And he even looks like, like an arrogant little prick in that yeah, panel. He, kind of he can't like. can't be bothered. First purple suit though. 
Yeah. Um, have you ever read, is it Superman versus Hulk or Superman Hulk or something like that? Roger Stern, Steve Rude. No. I have read um, Batman and the Incredible Hulk. And That's I have cool. seen that CGI YouTube video that has no. Superman and the Hulk. It's pretty cool. No, this is like a comic from the late yeah, 90s, early 2000s, something like that. I have not read it. It's really cool because Steve Root is good at drawing people like Jack Kirby would have, but maybe a bit more polished. So you kind of have this whole – it's like this Hulk. It takes place in the past. It's a flashback. So it's this Hulk where he's like – he talks and he's green and he still lives on the base. And anyway, I'm bringing that up because there is a scene in that issue where he's pushing apart a magnet much like he is right here. So that's where they got it from. Um, it's just a cool visual, this ridiculously Acme-sized magnet. And even that's right. that's too power. That's not powerful enough for the Hulk, and he just like busts it open. Yeah, I feel like magnets like that wouldn't actually be more powerful for being bigger. They would just be, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Stan loves his magnets, you know. <laughs> Stan and magnets, it is a thing. <laughs> Stan does not understand magnets. All right. So on uh, the next page, so so Dad says he knows how you feel about Bruce. Uh-huh. And Tyrannus just looks at you and knows that you love Bruce. But Betty, you're thinking, I can't admit to dad that I love Bruce. Whom are you kidding here? I yeah. mean, yeah, everybody knows. It's not even funny. I don't understand she loves Bruce Banner. Little does she dream that her very love will be the weapon with which I shall conquer the surface of Earth. Huh? How? What? That never plays out. Does it? Or did I just um, misunderstand? Does he know that Bruce Banner's the Hulk? Because they don't really say that, do they? I I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because you're right. There's nothing that he should know about how this happens. I feel like this is another one of those Kirby drew it and Stanley's going to put his words on it. Okay. I can maybe no prize this. Okay. Because he has a crystal globe that he can see whatever he wants to see. Mm-hmm. He may know that Bruce he- Banner's the Hulk. He might. He was seemed to. He did seem to be prepared to stop a monster. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But they don't say it, which is weird. Like all you had to do was say it, one sentence. And there, certainly there was not a whole lot of subtle writing going on during this day. Uh, if that was the story point they wanted to make, they probably would have made it. <laughs> yeah. So this is but like that, that's that's my explanation though. This page three is another one of those exhausting origins that we keep getting. Um, like, I don't know about you, but like doc, with Dr. Doom and Reed Richards recollecting everything about Dr. Doom, mm-hmm. his entire history in one page. And then this one, this guy like talks to these yellow sub creatures that he rules, not even the entire page, just for four panels and explains his entire history, history to us and how his powers work and everything. I just like by the, by the end of the page, I'm just like, whoo, man, that was a lot. Information overload. Like, mm-hmm. let's, uh, get to know these characters a little bit. I mean, Space it out, but and the um he, he mentions that Ponce de Leon was trying to find the Fountain of Youth, and I'm thinking, okay, I didn't verify this by looking, but I think that Ponce de Leon was investigating like in Florida, and I live in Florida, and we have Saint Augustine, which is theoretically where the Fountain of Youth was supposed to be, and there's like a whole thing you can go see and where it talks about all that. So this guy is like. Little did he know that it was, uh, you know, below the surface of the earth. And I'm like, little did he know that it was in the South frickin' West of the United States, like a thousand miles in the other direction. <laughs> Maybe. I, yeah, I thought about that too. Like, is this actually supposed to be literally below where they are? Or does this crazy, like, octopus machine that 
he gets in later, like allow him to travel billions of miles really fast or something. Like I'm going to go with the simpler, which is he's, yeah. he's many leagues down from Arizona. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that works for me. And um, he, he was also banished by Merlin. First appearance of Merlin off camera. Yeah. No, I feel like, I feel like we've had another mention of Merlin. Maybe this is what I was thinking of, but I feel like, cause there's other silver age Merlin before we actually get the Merlin and like Captain, Captain Britain and whatever. Oh, is um, there? Okay. Yeah. We're going to, the last issue of, Thor before Jack Kirby comes back is Merlin the Mad. Oh, great. Um, but yeah, this is the first mention of Merlin. So we can take it as, as canon that this is actual Merlin probably until we have reason to doubt otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then Bruce is choosing to be the monster in order to save Betty. So we have gone from a monster book to pretty much a superhero book. Yeah, they finally figured out how to make it so that he can save the day and still be the Hulk. Mm-hmm. They've gone through. I was thinking about how many incarnations they've gone through, and we're only on book five. Uh, like I've said before, I am a big Hulk fan, mostly due to Peter David's run, and that was where they really explored like the different versions of the Hulk and Bruce. So I, I kind of, in hindsight, try and pigeonhole those ideas, or you know what's going on here with those ideas. So to me, it's like we had this original gray monstery kind of hulk which isn't the same as this one you could argue it is but it felt different it felt like more like a guy a monster with some sort of id or something like he lumbered around and didn't quite know what he wanted and didn't you know told people why would he want to be human and all this weird stuff and then we got possessed hulk who when rick wasn't concentrating on him almost seemed kind of like savage hulk in a way not really angry but he'd just go around lumbering with no dialogue and and his powers had got increased at that point. And his powers got increased at that point. And now we have this Hulk where at first it was supposed to be this Hulk with Bruce Banner's intellect. But clearly this is not Bruce Banner. He talks totally different. He acts different. He's like more on the angry side. Um, whereas Bruce Banner is still a very uninteresting character to me. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any emotions, which makes sense. Again, if you pigeonhole all these ideas into the Peter David run, he's a really reserved person who doesn't allow emotions to affect him or control him or govern his act, govern his actions. That's what the Hulk okay, is yeah. for, right? Um, so that's like four. If you count Bruce, that's four different personalities and five issues. And maybe that's why the book dies because they can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of look at it as there's no need for a status quo. They're just continuing to do stuff as they, have story ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until the Tales to Astonish run that like Hulk becomes sort of standardized. Right. And it's not even immediate because we'll talk about it if we ever get there. Um, the, the, the reason for his changes goes through a little bit more of a change after it starts. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a work in progress all the way through to the cancellation. But I feel – I could just be reading into it, but I feel like they're doing it because they can't figure out how to – they created this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde character. But then it's like – but it's a comic book and he's a superhero but not really. So how do we get him to do the right thing without making him an upstanding person? Yeah. So they're trying different stuff to see what formula they can make happen and work. Right. And feel good about for the next issue. Yeah. Um. I'm running out of stuff about the first story. you have anything else on the first story? Uh, no. I mean, it was sad to see him so abused. That's the first time, like, he's not just easily cleaning up. And, of course, yeah, there was, he's being blackmailed, so he could have cleaned up. But And there was a lot going on in those few pages while he was under the Tyrannus' thumb. Um, 
I'm not saying I wanted it to go longer, but it felt like a lot was smushed into this book. This story. See, I was going to say, why not make this a full issue? Because the next story could just go away as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, I would have rather more Tyrannus, honestly. Because of the two. You could have spread out his origin a little more, a little more breathing. They go through a lot in however many pages this is. And I think this is the shorter of the two stories. Um, it is t- 11 pages. So, yeah. Quick flip through on the next one, which I think is 12 um, or 13 would make sense for the usual structure of the book. Yeah, 13. So it is the shorter of the two. It's uh, definitely the more interesting of the two. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm sure we'll see Tyrannus again, too. Yeah, we will. He um, he comes up in a Hulk issue. Tells us on 80. Well, I know he makes it into the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, so he must be yeah, a one-note character. He kind of shows up anytime you want to go underground. He's just one of the table of villains you can fight. There's Mole Man, and there's this guy, and Iron Man meets a woman who's queen of the netherworld. Who was that? Um, who was that Star Trek character that was really supposed to be a bunch of famous American people because he was immortal? Uh, kind of reminded me uh, of that, but I don't remember the episode title now. <laughs> There was Trelane. There was the the godlike child who was fascinated with American culture. No, no. Um, he was. Oh, oh, Requiem for Methuselah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that guy reminded me I, of Tyrannus for some reason, or vice versa. I forget what the actual character's name is. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, ready for the hordes of General Fangs? <laughs> yes. Let's get out of here. <laughs> okay. Um, I apologize to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Um, especially our listeners of Asian descent, uh. um, the hordes of General Fang. Um, Hulk is jumping around. Thunderbolt Ross remembers that he had that iceberg missile from like issue freaking three, maybe or <laughs> two. I don't know. Continuity. I think three. Yeah, yeah. And he actually uses it on the Hulk this time and, and freezes him. But the Hulk's body radiates heat because it's so full of gamma radiation that he melts the ice and escapes the clutches of general ross um i think he makes it back to his cave and turns back into bruce with his machine Mm -hmm. um then we go over to not tibet (laughs) i'm guessing um because there's they call the leader of this community the llama right so i'm guessing this is not tibet it's the principality of I don't know how to pronounce this. L L H A S A. Yasa? Lhasa? I was saying Lhasa, yeah. Okay. Whatever that is. Um, and they're concerned because, and the llama is wearing a Smurf hat. <laughs> Papa Smurf hat, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're concerned because there is an army. They don't specify that it's from China, but since it's not Tibet, this is probably from not China. And General Fang is leading the army. And somehow, um, you know, through the convenience of, of plot, this makes it to the news while Bruce and Rick are hanging out in the cave listening to the news. And Bruce is like, oh, okay, we're going to go save them. i got to become the Hulk. So he goes and gets the machine, uses the footy controls to turn into the Hulk again. And then they got to figure out how to get to China and how to get to Tibet. Mm-hmm. So the Hulk goes to his bookshelf. Of all things. Now, theoretically, the idea is that Hulk has Bruce Banner's intelligence. Right. 
So he pulls out one of his books about myths and says, we're going to beat them with this. And Rick's like, what? I don't even know what this means. They get on an airplane. The Hulk and Rick Jones sit in an economy class seat on the airplane. Now, I'm just imagining Avengers movie Hulk. Right. <laughs> yeah. Any other Hulk by 1970 on up? Yeah. 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 No. Um, no. And it doesn't even last. Like, as soon as the first stewardess walks by, he freaks out and scares her, bails out the emergency exit with Rick on his shoulders, and he flies until he gets close. Well, he says we're already close enough, but I don't think they're that far. Um, they've got to fly from New York over the United States, over the Pacific Ocean, which is really, really, really big. And... um then supposedly they're going to get to Formosa. Now, Formosa, for those who don't know, is what we now call the island of Taiwan. It's a pretty sizable island off the eastern coast of China. Um, they hop and skip over several islands near Formosa. They get to um, Formosa, and the Chinese or, or you know, some sort of army is there. Um, they fight the Hulk, and the Hulk jumps with Rick again. They go to the snowy mountains, which I'm sure are the ones that are between China and Tibet. Um, and the Hulk puts on an abominable snowman costume, which was the reason he mentioned the Book of Myths several pages ago out of nowhere. And he's br- he's brought some thermals for Rick. and um, An adorable scares- snowman, you mean. An adorable snowman. Did he make yeah. that joke? I no, that I just think day. he looks adorable. But anyway, he, go ahead. He's, he's pretty great. Um, he scares off um, some communist tanks. They had the communist cyclone ham on him. Another reason why this is probably China. And I don't know. General Fang wants to fight the Hulk. The Hulk wants to fight General Fang. Um, there's something about a dragon, like an illusion of a dragon. Mm-hmm. He jumps through it and he gets captured in an electric, electronic ring trap of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight, fight, fight until the Hulk wins, I think. Yep. Um, so the ending, I remember he takes the general and, um, leaves him like wandering in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even do the satisfaction of like dropping him in the middle of a group of angry villagers who can like tear him to shreds and eat him for breakfast. Yeah. He just like leaves them wandering in the wilderness. Right. Um, and then both of these stories ended on a whole like, you know, I'm the Hulk, I hate humanity kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. And he threatens to be the Hulk longer more often. He doesn't want to change back anymore. Oh, that's right. That was a note that the Hulk is starting to resent turning back into Bruce again. Right. Which is much more in character. Um, um, so thoughts wow. on the hordes of General Fang? Super racist? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, let's start at the beginning. I like that we got to see the ice missile because I don't remember what issue that was. Was it last issue or the issue before? They did the whole ice missile test, and then it went nowhere. Like, nothing happened in that story. you think if they start out a story with, here's my ice missile test, then we'd get to that at some point, and they didn't. And I was just like, well, that was kind of weird and random. But then they did it. Two issues later, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like necessarily that he got out because he's hot. 
because then that makes you wonder anytime he's holding like a pretty girl and jumping around in Nevada, why aren't they like dying? Cause he's hot enough to melt ice. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I kind of rationalize that with the whole radiation thing, but yeah, if he's, that's more of a red Hulk gimmick, right? If and, he's that hot, then he shouldn't be able to be in contact with anybody. And, and, you know, he's the Hulk. He could have just broken out of ice because we were making fun of this this weapon in the first place. Like, how would ice stop the Hulk? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'd I, I like to hope it never gets used again. Yeah, um, yeah I was also very happy to see the Iceberg missile. Before we get too far along, the opening of the story was very thing. I've got to keep exercising if I don't want to get muscle bound. That kind of thing. I, I, and, I've, um, read, I've read that like five times because I didn't get it. It's just in the, I've also heard the thing say. <laughs> okay, he says, gotta exercise this way once a week so I don't end up being a muscle bound creep. Okay, it's a rhyme. I think the idea was that. Doesn't exercise make um, you a muscle bound creep? But like, if you didn't work them out, like, not bulking up kind of exercises, but like using your muscles exercises, they would stiffen up. So he's saying he's doing cardio versus strength training. I guess something along those lines, but not okay. as well developed because it's 1962. We don't really get it yet. Yeah, I didn't understand it. I was and he, and he looks weird in that picture too. But and they describe him as doing a series of leaps, which we also see with the whole Formosa thing later doing a series of leaps. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's flying. Yeah, I feel like they've done this now for three issues where like they can't get the fact that he's jumping. Right. And I don't believe that Kirby is that inept at drawing. So I'm wondering if like the two of them are warring over whether Hulk should fly or something like maybe Kirby's just refusing to draw it right. And Stan keeps like writing in the captions. Uh, it's jumping. We swear, but none of it looks like jumping. It, maybe Stan Lee doesn't want to get Superman sued. I don't know. I don't know either. It's maybe really weird. Superheroes is dangerous. It's really weird. Um, um, I mocked it during the the synopsis. I'm still laughing at it. Let's first turn into a giant monster and then squeeze into Coach. (laughs) Yeah. But at at this point in the comic, you can't do it another way because he's doing it with the machine. This is the first – I'm going to say first issue like this happens all the time, but I don't think it's going to happen much longer. But the first one where he doesn't need Rick to change him, he can do his own foot pedaling now. The story, I think, right? Oh, is it? Because I've always thought – maybe I was filling in the blanks with my brain. I've always thought he was doing footed controls. Maybe this is the first time he's actually done with footed controls. So stay back. The Hulk wakes for no one, least of all a teenage brat because Rick was like racing home to make sure he was there to turn him back. Mm-hmm. And the Hulk just does it himself. Uh, I say that like this big historic moment, but like they'll never have the Hulk change this way past this yeah, series. The, this only lasts for one more issue. Mm-hmm. And whenever he comes back and tells to it – well – between now and Tales to Astonish, we don't focus on the Hulk's changes. And after he comes back and Tales to Astonish, it becomes the whole adrenaline-fueled thing. So you mentioned, like, you said uh, something like, we acknowledge that the Hulk has the intelligence of Bruce Banner, and, and then that's why he reaches for the book. Um, well, I figured that's, that's the kind of the gimmick we're going with right now. Is yeah. Theoretically, he has... Yeah, I've always felt like the, the, the Hulk is probably smarter. I mean, technically, the Hulk always has access to... The entirety of Bruce Banner's brain, if you think about it, whether he actually accesses it effectively or can access it is another issue. But like, I always feel like even Savage Dumb Hulk s- seems to fight smarter than he would if he actually were a child. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, and this, you know, this gray, talky, bad attitude Hulk 
is certainly a smart person. I don't know if he can do like science, but I don't know why he needed to grab the book. You don't know what an abominable snowman is. You got to look it up, but whatever. It was interesting. Yeah, it was a weird moment. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. I got you stay out of my hair when I'm looking for something. Here it is. This book will help me demolish that creep in its whole crummy rat pack. Call the airport, reserve a couple of seats headed east. Yeah. Um, the plane stuff is great. Headed, it says headed east. Yeah. I wonder if you were going from New York to Tibet. But no, because they go over Formosa. They're going west. They're going across the Pacific. So Stan got their east and west mixed up because at the end of the issue, he says we're going to head back west now. Oh, man. Um, this issue yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Let's forget about Stan, it. Stan is backwards on that. Yeah. Um, I like the plane, I earlier, I like the plane that, sequence. Plane sequence was really funny. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I can't even fit in the coach, but I don't know. He does it, but that's what's funny about it, I guess. It's just like little things like that along with like what we were talking about earlier where you land the Fantastic Four in New York and there's going to be some kids playing on it when you come out of the building. Things like that. It's a, fan, it's a fantastic monster face when he scares the stewardess. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great, great drawing. Yeah. Hot coffee like that actually hurts him. <laughs> he is he is the reason that McDonald's puts caution hot on your coffee. <laughs> His one weakness. I shouldn't mock that woman. She got I mean, there was more going on to that situation. She got really badly burned. Yeah. Um Yeah, she did. I took that class too. <laughs> yeah. So just to clarify and to be respectful, um Formosa, as I said earlier, is the island nation that we know as Taiwan. Officially it's known as the Republic of China. And uh, that should not be confused with the People's Republic of China, which is what we Americans usually refer to as just China. But they have very similar names. And it's kind of interesting that there's the people's part, which is kind of going back to the whole communist idea that it's owned by the people in big China. But Taiwan is technically its own little China. Okay. Um, there may be more to that than I, that I understand. And I apologize if I got anything wrong. But – you mentioned how adorable he is when he gets in the um in the costume. Mm-hmm. I just want to mention Rick also. He says I brought some thermals or something like that, but he's wearing a furry costume too. Yeah. And Hulk only has three fingers in this costume, which maybe that's why he's adorable. I don't know. He's like the thing or something. See, only he only has three fingers anyway. No, he doesn't. No, he's always had four, I thought. He does have four, though. Well, you're right. The thing loses a finger. Um, so I don't know if we need to focus on this too much, but yeah, horribly uh, stereotyped uh, renderings of these particular communists. Yeah. Um, like World War II, yeah. almost World War II. That World War II got a lot worse. 40s comics, you know, they really exaggerated the, the pointy teeth and the lips and stuff. So we're not quite there, but we do have, I believe we have pointy teeth, we have yellow skin, we have... The Fu Manchu, uh, you know, facial hair. With the long pointy mustaches. They have pointy ears. So it's like, wow. We page didn't... 10 on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, the next to last panel on page 10 is, yeah. is a pretty bad one. We didn't get Do you very have far. yellow skin on yours? Oh, yeah. Because I have the, the digital recolored one, and it's just regular flesh, uh, you oh. know, Caucasian flesh tones. Oh, I'm no. going to go to see if I can find a scan of this. They're backpedaling on yours then, because they're all yellow on these. So we didn't get that far, kids. It's only been 20 years, I guess. Yeah. And they are, quote unquote, the enemy at this point, even though we're not really fighting them. I think I can visualize it. It's like a real pale yellow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can. Visual, I, I, I remember now what that color looked like. And yeah, visualize it. I mean, it's not it's not nearly as bad as the '40s, but it's not great. Um, so we, um, I don't really have a whole lot to say. No, about the I mean, of the story. There's a lot of a lot of the stories we're reading are like this. They set up, especially with the Reds. They set up a situation, and then the entire issue is them showing off their feats of awesomeness, whether it be Thor or Hulk or. You know, whatever. So it's like hard to comment on anything interesting because, yeah, okay, it's really cool to watch Thor catch or Hulk catch missiles or brush past a group of trees so fast that it makes the trees snap back and whoosh everybody around. And, you know, it's fun, but it's like not really worth going on and on about either. And I kind of checked out of it actually after a while. I was kind of like flipping through. I wasn't really reading all the dialogue. I was looking at the pages and, yeah. Um, but what's with the two like, Nasty PSA endings. Rick's like, safe at last. Don't kid yourself. Nobody's safe. What do you mean, Hulk? I mean that you and the rest of the weakling human race will be safe when there ain't no more Hulk. And I'm planning on being around for a long, long time. That's kind of dark. Yeah. Humans, watch out. I'm the Hulk. And before that one, it was let her fear me. Let them all fear me. Maybe they got good reason to because they're only humans, but I'm... The Hulk. And and they both end with floating heads. Yeah. So that is a little da, da, weird. Da, 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 scary Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> but not bad. I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah, kind of bad. But the thing is, I haven't really enjoyed Hulk at all anyway. So flashing back to the other issues, I'm not sure it's particularly worse. It might even be better in some ways. Because uh, at least the Hulk isn't mind controlled right now, which is mm-hmm. nice. And he's kind of taking care of business, which is nice. Um, but yeah, the villains aren't so good and the motivations aren't so good. And we still haven't found a reason to really like Bruce Banner yet. Right. Well, you know what we forgot to do? What? We forgot to check the time after Fantastic Four 10. Yeah, I know. We've probably and gone too we long. Are, we are, we've gone pretty long this episode, which is fine. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go long every now and then. So what? Yeah. Um, so this is a longer episode and. If you'd like to find our shorter episodes, you can find those at makearsmarvel.com, where you can also find our social media links for Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and we're even on YouTube. You can also write to us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And um, I was thinking that a cool thing for you all to tell us about is if there are any stories that we've talked about or as we talk about them, if you – the listener are an expert in that particular character's continuity. And you know about like weird continuity implications down the road from the story we talk about and or retcons that come in later that affect the stories we're talking about. That would be cool to add into the flavor of our discussions. Like, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, as we're talking about these stories, if there's something about the story that you know more to add in for continuity, I'd love to know about it. That's going to be a lot of letters. <laughs> I don't know that the hordes of General Fang are going to generate a lot of continuity. <laughs> well, but all the stuff we've discussed, there must be a ton of retcons we've already skipped over. Yeah, maybe. We'll That's find true. out. But, but, you know, I'm curious. Yeah, so, me too. Um, and we don't care about spoiling here because we're talking about the past anyway. Nar, it's in fact. I don't mind jumping to the future. <laughs> I guess that wraps us up. So, until Dr. Doom does another body swap, this time with a blind man, and doesn't realize he's blind, make ours marvel. marvel.